Whether disasters are happening on a global scale or in your personal sphere, these are difficult times that require prophetic insight from God in order to be at rest. This is Sam Solon inviting you to the continuing study of the book of Revelation. I regret that we're moving so slowly through the book of Revelation, but overturning false things, poorly thought out, unbiblical uh, perspectives um, is more difficult than it appears to be. It would actually be a pretty easy matter to speak the truth, to teach what is true, and do it, in a, do it in a straightforward fashion if I did not have to overturn, pull down, uproot, overthrow and destroy false and often quite silly notions. But I understand that when we were children, we acted as children. We thought as children, we understood as children. But when we become mature, it is necessary to update our understanding. When I was a little kid, um, I remember in the schoolyard, we would, you know, I'm talking about being four, five, six years of age. In the schoolyard, a group of us would hold hands in, in recess and we would, on the, on the playground, and we would say, would sing the song, Ring around the rosy, pocket full of posy, ashes, ashes, we all fall down, and we'd just fall down. It was fun as a child to do that. Our focus was on all falling down. Later on, as an adult, I actually thought about what we were singing. And I, I did a little bit of research and found out it was an English child's rhyme from the time of the Black Plague. And it was certain rings that appeared on people's skins who had been infected ring around the rosy. And people were suffering immensely, so they had posies or um, collections of herbs and flowers that there was so many people dying and unburied corpses in houses that you needed to have like an air freshener so the pocket full of posy was your personal air freshener right below your nose to kind of distract from the stench of decaying flesh. Ashes, ashes. Many people had to be, their bodies had to be incinerated. And so many people were dying that we all fell down celebrated that, that concept. When we were children, a macabre poem 
has a measure of delight to it. When we're adults, the grim reality ought to seep into our consciousness. We've had these poorly formed notions of of the book of Revelation from generations past that did not represent a mature church because the church wasn't mature at the time nor was God calling her at that time to maturity. But He's doing so now. You know how I know that? That's what He's saying. That's why I say what I say. When we're children, we act like children, but when we become adults, we ought to put away childish things. And if we refuse to put away childish things, when for the time we ought to be teachers and insist on the milk of the Word, then we are described as carnal or immature incapable of bearing weight and certainly excused from the grave and and, uh, important task of representing the Lord. I'm amazed at how entrenched doctrines are to the point where it's the, it's the doctrines that are blinding the minds of people so that they can neither hear nor see. If you have agreed to these very, very um, unfounded in Scripture notions of biblical prophecy, particularly the end of the age, um, you know, you notice I'm not presenting you with a bunch of charts and arrows and Uh, news clippings. I'm deconstructing the Scriptures in the same manner in which I deconstruct themes around which doctrines are formed in the Scriptures. I was thinking the other day, in fact when when I first got started, when I got the assignment from the Lord, to unpack the book of Revelation. I have to tell you that I did not consider it a a task to which my feet eagerly went. I didn't rush to this task because as I stood afar and thought about it, I realized that this was obviously beyond my pay grade. But I know when the Lord tells me to do something, if I'll but agree, He will give me the anointing. He will give me the grace to move through it. As I have done so, I realized how well prepared I was for this. 
but not because I had repeatedly studied the book of Revelation, though I had read it many times. I hadn't studied it. I studied portions of it, but not in its entirety to see the overarch and to place it within its proper context of all prophetic scriptures coming at the end, summarizing all prophetic scriptures. So I thought that it wasn't really a good thing for an apostle to be deep diving into the main prophetic scripture in all the Bible. But the Lord reminded me that the book of Revelation was not written by a prophet, it was written by an apostle and that it required apostolic insight to interpret. What we have done is we have left it to prophets who are typically not known for the discipline of study. It's easy to fire off some word from God as is commonplace for modern prophets. Many of the Old Testament prophets like Daniel said that he had listened to uh, or read the word of another prophet, Jeremiah. He said, I learned from the word of the prophet Jeremiah that the captivity of Israel would last 70 years. We have prophecy today largely unconnected from the Scriptures and that's why it's become the wild, wild west, the wild frontier of dueling prophecies. Now I have great respect for the prophetic, but I have contempt for false prophets because it's not a neutral proposition. They're leading the people astray by false prophecy. But the book of Revelation requires, quote, men of understanding and that's not a condition we typically associate with the modern day prophetic movement. God is is dethroning it, decapitating it and bringing up in the place thereof real prophets and prophetesses. Now some of the old guard have been faithful to God, but the majority of them were disclosed in recent political events. I want to dig in deeper and show you more of why it's necessary to deeply study the Scriptures. When you do, it's not study that opens the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit does, but you must supply the willingness to do whatever God requires of you to understand and that's a discipline more commonly associated with true apostles. We've got an overabundant crop of false apostles just like we have an overabundant crop of false prophets in the present time. But 
the Word and the Spirit attest to who is authentic. And when what is said is not true, whether by apostle or prophet, they ought to repent if they have a chance at being reclaimed. If they won't repent, God will discard them, for He's no respecter of persons, and He will not be represented by unprepared, unclean, and often filthy vessels. Now, let's get into this further. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm apologizing nearly for taking 30 minutes to explain one verse of Scripture, but it's necessary if we're going to gain understanding. And it's not just knowing about stuff. This is about how our path is to be lighted. His Word, the revealed Word, is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And if it doesn't function like that, then we will stumble in darkness and these times will overtake us in our condition of ignorance. So it's, this isn't just some nice thing to do, this is imperative. This is the work that is required of the mature. Now, I know that there are a lot of people hearing these things will quickly turn their noses at it because it assaults their established positions. Keep your positions, I say, if you will not change. Keep your positions. Continue to stumble around. You'll be no more than a guesser. And after enough foolish guesses, you'll be revealed as a fool. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. I'm concerned about the people of God who actually care about the truth, not about this false notion of brotherhood and um, camaraderie when nobody corrects each other and the common herd, like a bunch of wildebeest in in full-on stampede, go over the cliff and they follow each other to their destruction. If you can't be turned, you will be destroyed, not because I have anything to do with it, I'm stating the obvious. But to those who desire to know, let's look at this passage now, verse 9, because it says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. It's as stark as that. Now what is it that He wants you to hear? What particular warning is intended here? He says, He, now pay attention, pay attention to the words because they're not what you think. We've read this scripture before many times and people hear something different than what it actually says. It says, He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. 
Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. You know how we usually read this? Against the background of, quote, the gates of hell coming against us. And again, gates don't go anywhere. They don't attack anybody. But in the same spirit of folly, of blinded perspectives, same spirit of that, we hear in this scripture, if you have been appointed in these times, if you've been appointed to be taken captive, which is to, to say, you'll be taken to prison for your faith, then you'll, you'll go to prison. If you've been appointed to die for your faith, then you will die. That's how we've heard it. I want to read it again. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. Now what is that saying to you? It's saying somebody has been leading others into captivity and his judgment is he now will be taken into captivity. Let me read it again. I mean, you have to, it's like peeling the old coatings off the floor to expose the, the beauty of the wood. We have read this forever to say that there will come a time when true believers have been appointed to be taken into captivity or taken to prison for their faith, so they're the ones who are going to be taken to prison for their faith. And it's been appointed that certain ones will die for their faith, so those are the ones who will die for their faith and that calls for patience and faith of the saints. That's how we've read it. In fact, I dare say that's how you've read it until this moment when I'm showing you that's wrong. It's not what it says. It says, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. In other words, these are people who made captives of others and their judgment is that they will be judged by being the same measure they poured out. They'll be taken into captivity if they've been taking people into captivity. And similarly, he who kills with the sword, so this is not an innocent person, this is a person who has already been known for killing with the sword, must be killed with the sword. That's the last part. It says, if that's what you're doing, this is what's going to happen to you in these times. Will it surprise you to find out that this is actually a quote? Will it surprise you to find out that these words are a quote that John is quoting somebody. You know who he's quoting? He's quoting the prophet Jeremiah. The reference is Jeremiah 15 verse 3. Come with me to it. We'll read it together. So here we go. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 15, I'll start at verse 1. 
The Lord said to me, Jeremiah is speaking. This is the weeping prophet Jeremiah, known for prophesying the coming Babylonian captivity. A type and shadow of this beast of Revelation 13. In fact, the, the, the beast that typifies Babylonian captivity is the lion in Daniel 7 and the prophecy of Daniel in Daniel 7. A lion, a bear, and a leopard, three predatory kingdoms affecting the world and in specifics Babylon affecting Israel. The weeping prophet Jeremiah speaks for God and God is saying, I intend to bring the judgments that I have delayed and I will not delay the judgments anymore. And these judgments are going to take the form of Babylonian captivity for ancient Israel. Here, Jeremiah the prophet, Jeremiah 15, beginning at verse 1, Then the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable toward this people. God is saying, if Moses stood in front of me, if Samuel stood in front of me, two of the luminaries of the Old Testament known for their faithfulness in all of their ways. Samuel called the people to account, said, I have coveted no man's gold or silver, I told you what God was saying. Moses was the the most humble man who ever lived, faithfully representing God. Even if those types were before me, God said, and they were, I would not be favorable uh, toward this people, toward Israel. Cast them out of my sight and let them go, let them go forth. What that's saying is, I am done with them. Go forth where? And it shall be, this is the quote that we just read in in, uh, Revelation 13. And it shall be, if they say to you, where should we go? God is telling Jeremiah what to tell them. Where should we go? Then you shall tell them, thus saith the Lord, such as are for death to death, such as for the sword to the sword, and such as are for famine to the famine, and such as are for captivity to the captivity, and I will appoint over them four forms of destruction. Now, what is this? This is against, let's read a little bit, it'll it'll answer it for us. 
I will appoint over them four forms of destruction, says the Lord, the sword to slay, the dogs to drag, the birds of the heavens and the beast of the earth to devour and destroy. I will hand them over to trouble to all kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for what he did in Jerusalem. So God was very, very, very angry at Israel over the rule of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. You know, Israel was, uh, the, 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 the Hebrews were divided in the time of uh, Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Uh, they were divided into the northern kingdom of, of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, Manasseh was one of the kings of Judah. Ten tribes were faithful to, or, or, or part of the rebellion and formed the, the nation of Israel amongst the Jews. Two tribes remained faithful to the house of David. Those tribes were Judah and Benjamin. So those two tribes were faithful and were the southern kingdom of Judah. And, uh, and so at the time of Manasseh, this king of Israel, God intended to bring judgment on Israel. That judgment, that judgment would happen in the reign of his successor, of one of his successors, the king named Zedekiah. There's Hezekiah, there's Manasseh, there's Josiah, and then there is Zedekiah. Zedekiah's uh, captivity, he would, his eyes would be put out and he would be led into captivity into Babylon. Now, God's favor had appeared on Israel in the days of Hezekiah. Uh, God, you'll remember uh, that God destroyed, He caused a, uh, a plague to come into the armies of Sennacherib, Sennacherib um, in, the, in the days of uh, Hezekiah. By the way, Hezekiah ruled uh, between the years 27 BC and 690, I'm sorry, 727 BC and 698 BC. And, and then he was succeeded by Manasseh, who ruled from 698 BC to 642 BC and was the longest reigning king in Judah. He reigned for 55 years. Now when we come back, I want to explain how this reference presents us with Babylonian captivity updated to the end of the age. Uh, in in uh, 
in, pref in preparation for that, I'll give you just a bit more of the history of that time and uh, we will then proceed to look exactly at the sins of Manasseh and how they relate to who is to go into captivity will go into captivity, who is to die by the sword will buy, die by the sword and who it is that he's talking about. I'm Sam Solon. Continue of course, continue with me as we unpack this ancient reference. John didn't coin it out of thin air. As you can well see, the Spirit of the Lord quoted the prophet Jeremiah in the book of Revelation more than 700 years later. I'm Sam Solon, we'll talk more soon. Bye-bye.